0: Welcome to the Just A GP podcast. My name is Ashley Broomfield and I'm here with my usual co-hosts Charlotte Hesby and Hi. Beck Hoffman hey. and we are currently at GP19 with Emily Kirkpatrick. Welcome to the podcast Emily.
1: Thanks Ash for having me on.
0: So Emily, I was wowed by you at the Pre-Vocational book Committee. Uh, down in melbourne where you presented some of the work that you've been doing on in-place practice assessments and so i approached you afterwards and said please 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 be on the podcast (laughs) um but can you for our listeners give us a bit of a background as to not not your research currently but kind of where you're working and what your clinical day looks like
1: Perfect. So thank you. So currently I'm a GP in the city of Adelaide and as part of my general week I spend a lot of time at GPex, which is the South Australian GP training organisation and so that's one of my hats that I wear. The other hat is that I'm a clinical lecturer at the University of Adelaide in general practice. My college hat is that I'm Deputy Chair of SANT Council. And my final hat is that I'm trying to undertake a PhD because I'm really interested in research and general practice.
0: all right awesome. That's really yeah. cool. cool. Yet
2: another wonderful multi-hatted, mm-hmm. person. mini bald person. Yeah. <laughs> mini bald, don't you like yeah. that one?
1: Sorry, about that, girl.
0: <laughs> And so, what what's been your highlight this
1: week? I've just loved catching up with everyone and I think that's what makes us such a great specialty is we are just such a friendly bunch of people who are so interested in hearing what everyone's up to and how we can sort of make, you know, the world a better place. You feel so empowered after you've you've been at one of these annual GP conferences that you just want to go out there and, and practice the best medicine that you can.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? I completely relate to that. It's that. Sometimes I might be feeling really down about something and I'll go to a meeting with my colleagues. And I come away going, oh, oh, this is just so good. And my fellow GP community is just wonderful, which again is one of the reasons why I feel the importance of something like the GP. So what's your highlight? My highlight, thanks, Ash. I think my highlight actually was yesterday, at GP19, where I had the honour to award the GP of the year, the GP practices of the year the GP registrar of the year and GP supervisor and can I say they their stories were just wonderful and again I mean I almost cried internally at the beautiful descriptions of why these people have been nominated for these awards let alone the reason why they had won these awards and for anyone who hasn't Seen who won the 2019 go and find them on the RSCGP sort of news or website and and read about these people because they are really truly inspirational the RGP of the year is a an awesome awesome young man who has both trained and as a medical student as a registrar and then gone back into a rural community and done a great job just such inspiring
0: stories Mm, I agree my highlight is the same as both of yours (laughs) I particularly like the speech by the GP of the year it was really cool and actually it was nice to be able to see the awards as part of the general wider GP community and that would be cool to incorporate somehow more regularly into even like the plenary style of you know the opening of the conference that would really be a nice way to do it
3: I'm going to give myself two highlights <laughs> it was actually the first, I know, the first time I've been to conference and attended the ALMs beforehand, I've always gone, I don't have enough time in the week or just go for the conference, and this year I decided to go to the day before as well and they were awesome, and there was actually so many to choose from, I ended up going I changed last minute and ended up going to the breastfeeding and neurodevelopmental mm. one, and it was fantastic it was just exceptional to spend that amount of time actually learning something new and something different and it was really cool. My second highlight is going to be that this is actually the conclusion of our future leaders year and that was really a good program as well. I think I spoke on it a year ago when i just got into the Future Leaders Program and how much I was looking forward to it. It was a, it was more time than I anticipated to commit to it, but all of that time was worthwhile. and so it was actually a really good program to do.
2: And I'll pipe in there that mm-hmm. I had the honour to hear the presentations of all of the participants and both Emily and Beck were presenting their work from the year and it was just, again, Uh, that if i'm allowed a second highlight that would be my second highlight actually (laughs) seeing the absolute breadth of potential leaders that we have in the racgp family really exciting and just this program is awesome and if anybody's interested then the nomination i mean so the ability to put in an expression of interest and get some nominations opens this saturday i believe
0: you know last episode we were talking about how do we make general practice more sexy yeah you know like i think having the presentations of the future leaders program more widespread available to the membership our registrars and medical students that would be an awesome way to kind of showcase the radical
2: thought ash that sounds great. We could probably do that. You could Are do you it in that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm just being facetious about the fact that we haven't done that. But you know, th- that's where something like the TEDx type yes, sort yes. of, you could do the short TEDx type presentation style and limit it that everybody only gets eight to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Say, but you know, again, that's just that's that's a great way of being able to show what people have done in that program.
0: Yeah, that would be cool to include in the become mm-hmm. a GP. You know. Yeah. Yeah, a great, we, we had
1: so many people ask us if they could come and watch our presentations. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh no, it's a closed group. So Sorry. hopefully it's next year they'll you.
0: make
2: some changes. <laughs> yeah, we can put really it good. actually in the whole yeah. I mean, why on earth there's no okay. reason not to put it in the, the, the plenary session mm. setting and do
0: it that way. Mm. Yeah, great. Beautiful. So, Emily, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in terms of your baby of work.
1: <laughs> what I'm trying to
0: deliver. <laughs> yes.
1: So, well, <laughs> you yeah. from how this ended up in terms of presenting to the, the REP committee. So, as part of a, a college large scale grant, we undertook research across all of Australia on workplace based assessments. So, workplace based assessments are, the, are the basically like direct observation visits multi-source feedback that you would undertake as part of your training to become a specialist GP. And the concept behind this was because we all do very different things across Australia and it was trying to get a good viewpoint of what everyone's doing, what works, what doesn't work. And now we have this huge amount of data because everyone was so friendly from across the country at giving us their data and now we can make some really meaningful progress hopefully in this space.
0: Mm. So for people who may not understand exactly what it is that you're looking at and what kind of data you're talking about in terms of what you, what you found. Can you kind of give us a bit of a, a summary?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, research is one of those complicated things, isn't it, really? And it can be a bit confusing as to what type of research we've undertaken. So this was actually mandated by the college as to what type of research we needed to do to find out these answers. And it was six streams of research, so a huge amount of research undertaken in nine months, which is just mammoth in yeah. research terms. And it was comprising both qualitative and quantitative studies. And the most exciting part of this study was that we interviewed 127 registrars, medical educators and supervisors which is a huge amount of data to then go on code and theme. <laughs> and Associate Professor Jill Benson, who who I work with very closely on this and who was the lead researcher as part of this, she and I spent so much time going through this data and making meaning of it. So now we have so much data in our heads that we just need to just get out on paper. And that's what we did with this project. We developed an evidence-based framework to then guide the future implementation of assessment and we've had lots of interest in this framework, which is fantastic.
2: Mm. So are you allowed to talk about, you know, even some of the things that you see have come out at you, either the obvious findings so that we can sort of understand what what it might look like?
1: Mm. Yeah, so one of the things that we weren't quite expecting was how the registrar feels in terms of undertaking assessment, feeling very like they're lacking um, empowerment and not feeling that they can approach their supervisor. For supervision it was something we hadn't thought about with assessment often you think about with assessment it's this tension between the person undertaking the assessment and who's marking you and this fear that you may have when you're when you're in that situation but in fact registrars wanted more supervision from their supervisors and wanted a tool or some method so they could then go and ask for this this help and something that came out was learning logs so having a, a method for documenting their learning that then was shared with their supervisor so the supervisor could see the gaps and, and what they needed help with another was procedural skills log which was taken out a while back now because it was seen as as a bit of a tick box exercise but having a method for registrars to then have things signed off by their supervisors they could you know put it in their face and say hey sign this off so it's sort of like like saying this
2: is how much I've achieved this is how much Mm. I've done so it was sort of taking away an easy gain for them
1: yeah Yeah. exactly so there were some really interesting findings that came from this we then had findings around the exam and people are always interested in what's happening with the college exam and in fact we had people loving the written exam which was a shock for us because we went in thinking that we would hear all this negative feedback around the KFP and the concerns about exams and written exams but in fact people loved it they thought it was a way that it it sort of made them feel like this was a really important role that they had in becoming a specialist GP is in fact it requires you to have so much knowledge and it drove learning so it was very surprising
2: as a teacher you're always concerned that the assessment tool drives the learning in a negative way because it becomes too narrow rather than the scope broadening because you just enjoy learning for the joy of learning so it's nice to hear that positive benefit of that the driver actually ignites an understanding of the importance of the knowledge behind the being the specialist yeah that's good. That
1: was, it was really it was really positive to, to hear this coming through. And the other aspect that we researched as well was around the role of the medical educator and how much that's such a valued role, having someone there who's assigned to your learning who can guide you in the right direction. That came out as an incredibly
0: positive point as well. Hmm. And the other thing that you presented to us was potentially using practice based assessments as a formative way of assessment, perhaps being a potential replacement for say an OSCE in terms of sequential practice-based yes, assessments. Yes, yeah. yes,
1: So there's this big drive, particularly in the European colleges, around programmatic assessment. So where you have 10 viewpoints that exist. So you have 10 data points that are there, watching a registrar, observing the registrar in consultation. Because there's been this big drive in the international community that you can't just examine someone based on an OSCE or a written exam, you need to see them in practice. And particularly in general practice where they're quite isolated, to have that person coming in and observing you and giving you the feedback and progressing your learning has become really quite positive. And, um, and Jill went over to Amy and presented this data and just the, the room was packed with people interested in this process and how we're then going to deal with this in Australia, this concept of programmatic assessment. So when we talk about assessment, it's quite confusing, all these different words. Yeah. <laughs> we have stakes, we have formative, we have summative. And one of the key things with programmatic assessment is we don't think about it from the formative or the summative point of view, because mm-hmm. we think about assessment, everything being valuable with assessment. And so you use this sort of stakes-based approach. So we think of the written exams being high stakes, and we think about direct observation visits being low or medium stakes. And that's because they're not making big decisions, so we call them low stakes assessment items. Except when they get a real red flag that's right. And so we had a whole separate stream, Charlotte, on this, which was looking at flagging of the registrar and seeing does that predict exam performance? Because this is a really interesting space, thinking about how training organisations can better understand and better equip registrars for them passing their RACGP exams. And something really exciting that came from this was that flagging data predicted exam performance. So if you were actually flagged in um, GPT-1, so within the first six months of training, you were more likely to pass your written exams than someone who wasn't flagged at all. Which sounds quite surprising when you think about it because you think that doesn't make sense. Like so in other words, they're given more support though. That's exactly right. And it comes down to this equity versus equality debate around how much support do you give registrars? So if you work out the needs of your registrar early on and you decide, right, they need extra support, if you give them that support, then they're more likely to pass. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That's really nice, though. It's so nice
2: that that the consequences of being flagged is not a bad one. Mm. In fact, it's actually got that positive benefit, which, again, I don't think we necessarily, I think, align with because I know talking to assessors and examiners, they don't like flagging because... Our whole thing is about being nice, and we don't like to be seen to be negative or whatever. And I know often we'll go back and talk about someone who, you know, is a borderline candidate, which, you know, the person that you're just not sure are they fit to pass or not. And you you might talk to people in the past, and they've all gone, Oh, yes, no, I had concerns. Well, why didn't you let us know you had concerns? Oh, I didn't want. know i didn't want to have them prejudiced Mm. against whereas this is beautiful because it's going no flag them because when we're much more likely
0: to get them through Mm. and it's mean, so that's what's really cool about research is that you would think that flagging a registrar means that they're less likely to pass their exams and there's going to be all these sorts of barriers and problems problems related to it but if you can demonstrate that there's a clear association between someone being flagged and then passing their exams because the in-between them flagging and passing their exams is support, then it, you, you can present that to supervisors uh, when they do their own you know, observational assessments or you can present that to the direct observation visit. Educators and and other supervisors who do it as well, but also to the registrars and to the registrars yeah, so that it's okay if you get flagged. Exactly. It means that you're more likely to pass your exam. Yes, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> and then we can So maybe registrars support. will start asking their oh, <laughs> education <laughs> <Start> <laughs> <performing> <laughs> calling. performance no. yeah. falling.
1: That's a really interesting concept because registrars don't even have a concept of flagging mm-hmm. to begin with, and I think this comes down well, to I think to they're fearful the it. I think they're
3: fearful of being being made out to be a difficult registrar because that's what being flagged is currently seen as mm. Mm. Oh, that's, that's interesting cool.
2: the label of difficult an interesting
3: mm. way Difficult, to say. isn't
2: it yeah yeah because yeah. well, what does what does difficult mean versus you know flagging whereas you know in my sense it's like okay flagging means that there's an area of competency that we need to mm. sort of address so it is again about aligning what that means and the language around it, and taking fear away from from exactly that. And it's interesting because my practice will get um, given difficult registrars <laughs> in birdercomers.
3: Oh, lucky you, <laughs> no but And please. and it you know
2: and it, it's sort of you know seen as this remediation. And again, I think it would be much nicer if it's actually around. Okay, here we have someone who we've got particular air gap gaps that need to be sort of assisted with and we know that in this practice setting you're going to be able to actually upskill them in a more effective way than they might get in another practice yeah, setting. you're not
0: assuming that someone comes in already knowing what they need to be to be a GP and yeah. all we need to do is tick box them the way through. It's actually yeah. like, we're going to support you to get to the standard that we would like you to be.
2: And again, if you, I mean, it'd be interesting if you can, if you've got anything on this, on the, the sort of the flagging of the highly competent registrar, on the other hand, who you then know that you can actually put them in a less supported environment because They don't actually need that extra teaching support, and but just make sure that you've got the that they don't feel like they've been isolated in any way but there's another sort of program of support around them because you you're already comfortable that their competencies are good
1: mm. and something that Jill did with this was she looked at the flagging data of, uh, of the RTOs that participated in this study and was interviewing the, the heads of directors of training to see how they flag registrars and everyone flags differently and you're exactly right Charlotte they flag sometimes based on performing really well to flag uh-huh. that they're, they're, they're a great registrar and how can we give them extra resources mm-hmm. so in fact in one of our um, one of our interviews we, we heard around this concept this registrar was performing so well that they then decided perhaps would you like to look at doing medical education work to try and then extend yourself and in fact this particular registrar had enrolled in um, higher education and was undertaking a graduate certificate in professional education. So it was quite interesting how that, that particular registrar was flagged, but that was only on very rare occasions that you would hear that it was a it was because of a positive, you know, excelling reason.
2: Oh, that's so lovely though, isn't it? But again goes to my sort of thing about how important it is to tap someone on the shoulder and go, Had you thought about adding this skill or would you like to be part of this? Because we, we can see that, you know, that'd be great. Um, that's just mm. really, really good. Yeah. I like it.
0: So what may be the future of a practice based assessment? Yes. Yeah. As, as like how useful are they in comparison to written exams? What are, what is the data that you're finding in terms of the validity of it?
1: Yes, thank you. That's a very research term, isn't it, <laughs> validity? So we we were really interested to see how the future could progress towards programmatic assessment and as part of our research we did an environmental scan looking at what everyone was doing in this space globally in primary care. And we were really interested in the New Zealand model. So they have this amazing assessment at the end of their training, the fellowship assessment, whereby someone comes out to their practice, observes them, and then undertakes a a case-based discussion with them through a checklist. And that's used as their main sign-off to then becoming a fellow of, of their college of GPs. So we were quite interested in the evidence behind this, and there's not a lot of evidence that's been published in this space, so that's why we were quite keen to tap in and get some data and, and find out how we're performing in comparison to other countries. And what was quite surprising was the concept of gaming of the OSCE. So this was a big theme that emerged that we hadn't predicted, was that a number of registrars had this concept of gaming. And it, what do you mean by gaming? So there's quite a lot of literature now coming out around OSCEs not having the same validity as workplace-based assessments. You mean they're preparing? That's right. So we we were, you know, I can give you an example that that came out was a registrar said, oh, we just learned three pieces of empathy when breaking bad news. And this concept of, you know, having the, you know, what would you cover in an eight-minute consult and what are the key points... And it's quite interesting because there's certainly a lot of providers out there now providing resources and practice OSCEs that it becomes this very intensive period before the exam. Of Often at great cost. Great cost of of sort of preparing yourself for that environment. So we presented this data, and can I interrogate that a little bit more? <laughs> so
2: I'm interested in, although you know, like the the thought of gaming the OSCE is not a not a, a nice I mean reason for what they're doing. Has there been anybody looking at whether the GP registrars themselves benefit from the process of the gaming as an endpoint to their actual practice clinical skills
1: yes so we, we looked into this as yeah. part of it to see how they then performed in and, and, and what they were doing as part of that learning process and the driving of the learning and in fact the clinical examination skills were something that registrars reported that they improved on because of the fact that they were forced to, to practice their technique with their examinations so that was a positive and was something then that when we thought about well, how could the future look, you know, with an OSKI without an OSKI potentially, that in fact you would need some method perhaps of examining registrars undertaking clinical examination, if that's seen as a as a deficit in, in, mm-hmm. in how registrars are performing prior to fellowship.
2: I don't know about any, any about anybody else, but certainly my experience of doing an OSKI, there's no doubt I went and really learned the sort of the systematic examination stuff um, totally. again yeah. and again to do that and there's no doubt it stood me in good stead because yeah. you know your, your fallback is always okay systematic boom 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 and you know you tailor it to your patient but you've got that wonderful system there which in general practice is slightly different from when you're in a med- medical school school context and you're trying to do it as a an all of Everything type, you know, sort of medical surgical model instead of general practice model.
0: Yeah, and even what to cover in a history, and you know, different mm-hmm. ways of how to do a knee
3: exam in six minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah, or even how different ways of talking about empathy or asking different mm-hmm. open styles of question. You know, those sorts of things that you don't tend to kind of go out and seek particularly if you're not preparing for it and that's something that really interests me at the moment because apparently there's quite good data that if you're passing the written exams then your chances of passing the OSCE are pretty high and so there's the question of well why do we have to do the OSCE and there's this you know people learn things because they're going to be assessed on it there's some sort of there's and you still get, you still get, too, um, yeah. because they set it up the way that
2: they have, so that you don't get to do the OSCE until you have passed the mm. written, yes. your failure rates are so much lower, yes. but you still do have failure rates. Yes. So, you know, it's about recognising that each of the three exams is designed to sort of pick up different, different yes. skills, yes. and mm-hmm. you're right, that there's no doubt that if you can get the first two written exam skills right, you are far more likely to get the OSCE right but again I think that then sets up that notion of what have you learned in the written that enables you to be better at the OSCE, OSCE.
0: Yeah. so let's say hypothetically that we do a bunch of research on practice-based assessments you know is there any data to suggest how they compare to something like an OSCE
1: no, there hasn't been that sort of comparative data undertaken, and that's certainly something that we're quite interested in in thinking that would be an excellent pilot to undertake and see how, you know, higher performing registrars compared in that um, programmatic versus OSCE setting. And so something we put forward is one of the things the college asked us to do was produce a framework as to how this could look, this, this assessment process. And we came up with a STAR assessment. So STAR assessment is currently in the literature, uses this top-level, trustworthy professional activity, level five, and It's designed as this sort of sign off, so someone had the ability to approve them signed off. So someone like a censor or someone in a position of of authority who didn't have a direct relationship with the registrar could then go and say, this registrar is safe to practice and competently supervise junior learners, which is the top EPA level, which is trustful professional activities. This is quite big in the US. They're Mm. very big on EPAs, we're less so here in Australia, but it was quite interesting how this would sort of fit and how this could be modelled on the New Zealand concept. And one of the great things about the New Zealand model is the fact that you can then assess case notes and have a look at mm. um, different practices the registrar is undertaking. So they assess, for instance, immunisation, whether they're keeping appropriate records, cold chain practices at the clinic as well. And they all they basically perform accreditation of their clinics at so the same time. So they audit
0: their patients only and seeing like how well they're recording things in their record and stuff like that. That's right,
1: cool. yes. Yeah. So as part of this STAR assessment we put in that you could have a direct observation visit four to six patients undertaken by a senior medical educator with random case analysis with set checklist criteria.
2: It's interesting, isn't it, because sort of opens up a little bit of a Pandora's box, little being in inverted commas, where the, as you say, the practice inadvertently gets assessed at the same time, and so if a registrar is working in a practice where those things are not where they should be, then there's repercussions. So it's, you know, whether they again, there might be gaming where practices make sure they don't ever have registrars who are at that point of, the pointy end of assessment, and then you
0: the Or, or on a flip side, maybe the practices start going. Oh, we need to really clean up our well, data and that. making sure that we're <laughs> hearing all the proper processes Well, that, so was that
2: the, we... the benefit. But I was going to the gaming yeah. side because you know that that would be the practices who see it as a as opportunity. an opportunity. Whereas, I suppose I'm just sort of going,
0: oh, there might be a number there who might just go. But, you know, like we talk about this a lot at New South Wales and ACT faculty. How do we help to support practices to start working towards quality improvement by looking at their practice-wide policies, processes, their data, data, how can they change how they're doing it? And, you know, one of the ways may be that as part of the practice-based assessments, the registrars are going to be actually, you know, one of the, the tick boxes, I don't know if it's on there, but one of the checklists was, you know, an audit. Of, you know how well is the registrar keeping the notes of their patients and and you know they won't only be seeing them alone somewhat it'll be a slight reflection on the practice then the registrar will know in terms of gaming that a part of their assessment is likely to be how well am I recording different things and so they're likely wanting to go and ask the practice well you know I need some support in this or did you know that this is part of my assessment and then you know it's kind of that Oh, that's where you need to be okay so that's where we should work towards as well
1: yeah you know what I mean like how the yeah, registrar yeah,
0: yeah. goes in and goes, this is what is part of my learning so we should all do it mm-hmm. I don't
1: know. so it's a very interesting space to see how this develops yes. and to see what continues happening overseas as well yes. because certainly you know a number of the European countries they're very interested in this space and they're doing a lot of research so I think over the next few years we'll see a lot more happening and then hopefully we can we can build some really great data and, in the future mm-hmm. We don't have any cost data, do we? <laughs> no, and in fact this, this came up when we did present our findings of the framework was the cost and that's one of the reasons why we emphasised perhaps that accreditation could be undertaken at the time of, um, of assessment. Do you think that's
2: why New Zealand's done it that way?
1: I don't, I mean the New Zealand set up is quite different I guess to Australia in terms mm-hmm. of the locality and, and the way they, they run their clinics. but. I, I guess it would make sense from a location point of view that then they could undertake that clinic. And, and they don't do
2: then the
0: clinic has accreditation at the same time the registrar has their yes. final assessment. Yes.
1: But what if the
2: yeah? So what if they have a registrar doing assessment every time?
1: Every year. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess they would, wouldn't they? I haven't, I haven't thought about that to be mm. honest, but something to look yeah. into and see how they structure. Them.
0: Yeah.
2: So, so there might be sort of stuff that they may or may not do as a running thing I mean certainly one of the
0: rolling accreditation well that's
2: that's actually what's going to be I think rolled out into the future this sort of sense of it's a bit like our CPD that it's sort of a rolling program of just making sure that you are you know that you've maintained each annual sort of requirement Mm -hmm. but there might be a three-year requirement for say like the CPR but that doesn't get You don't have to do it every year, but you know it it will be noted whether or not you do it every three years, which in fact might be better than the current system where it can be six years between your CPRs because of course, yeah, beginning of
3: one training at the the end of the next,
2: Mm. yeah. So if you sort of do a rolling program, it would actually achieve what you need. Mm. So you're doing a, a PhD. Yes. On this topic.
1: So, so I'm hoping this is going to take off because I think this is a really interesting area and we've already actually started looking at additional research based on this this um, huge data repository and one of the areas we're interested in is as I mentioned earlier about how we flag, if you flag registrars early then more likely to pass exams so we're looking at how you could potentially front load assessments so when registrars come into practice they have a, a set list of assessments that they undertake early on to ensure that they're then safe and ready to practice at a particular level of supervision so I think yeah. this is quite interesting in terms of safety and registrars feeling safe and supported when they start in their clinic because I we haven't really talked about this but certainly there were mm. some feelings that came up from registrars about feeling unsupported in their practices I mean training organizations do a wonderful job at, at helping registrars orientate them all the aspects of, of well-being programs that are now in place but It's that feeling supported and supervised and having a a process around that. I think it's really important. So we're currently piloting what we call an early safety assessment at GPEX, and that's to see how front-loading assessments, so having lots of assessments early on, does that then make the registrar feel more safe in their practice and feel...
2: And do that flagging. That's exactly right. And make sure they get the right supports and get them through the exams.
1: No, I'm just thinking,
0: so we were talking before the recording about the kind of research that you're doing
1: yes so in terms of the research that i'm that i'm undertaking and, and the types um, so this would be looking at sort of qualitative because the way to understand educational impacts so understand if something you're doing is actually making meaning and, and it's making a difference is to undertake interviews and focus groups with registrars and that holds
2: and then the quality improvement that aligns to that because once you've found an outcome. How do I actually make it better? And what does the implementation of what takes to make it better mean? Mm. Which is actually, again, a whole lot of the sort of the under, I mean, to me, that's my passion, because that aligns with everything we do in general practice, because I always say, I can always do better. So how do I identify what it is that I'm not doing as well as I think I am? And then what does it mean to actually get to the point that I'd like it to be, and does that need a whole system change, or is it just about, you know, how do I remind myself to do X, Y, or Z? I mean, it's interesting, but I mean, completely to the side, but say in my practice, we've been focusing on waist circumferences, which aligns to my own passion about cardiovascular disease and diabetes risk sort of assessment and notification, and I am so excited we when we first started looking at our waste measurements in the practice i think we were better than a lot of practices but we were about 16 percent, which sounds terrible so the average practice if you actually go to them is four percent yeah. so 16 percent wasn't too bad we then so sort of when we did a targeted thing we moved up to 40 but guess what our latest one is 89 wow. percent
0: over wow. what period of time
2: so that was only over a three. So eighty
0: nine percent of people's waste circumference being recorded in a
2: space of yes, in that basically in the last twelve months.
0: Oh, wow. that's yeah. fantastic.
2: Yeah, how exciting! I like I. I think I almost dropped dead. <laughs> <laughs> i really didn't think yeah, that number is actually even possible so yeah. you know it, it might be a false figure and it'll come back lower next time but even just that is a hallelujah chorus i mean obviously i still have the well we can do better mm-hmm. um and that everybody in my practice always goes oh it's always a better but you know that's your mantra isn't it it's about gosh how do we do that And then how can we take it forward? Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, this whole thing about teaching registrars. For me, the vision of having the best GPs in the world is what your vision is and how do we do that and support our beautiful young doctors to actually be the GPs that we need for the future going forward. Mm -hmm. It's great.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. And is there quantitative stuff that goes along with that as well? Like if you're matching in with exam performance, I imagine that there's a bunch of.
1: Uh, it's difficult because of the fact you need really large numbers with, with quantitative. So in terms of funding, we don't have the funding yeah, okay. unfortunately to undertake really large scale research. This was a one-off grant. You're just going to have to apply for some more. Aren't that's you? right. Well, I have put an application yeah. in. And I haven't I'm heard back cool. well, yet. Of cool. good luck. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. And that's on identifying learning needs. So that's one of the big areas that we're interested in as well around how can you improve learning, especially with CPD. Mm. Oh,
2: well, we look forward to hearing more.
0: Okay, so I guess that, that brings us to the end of the episode. For the listeners, what is your resource of the week, clinical tip or, you know, just an FYI, something that you've kind of learned recently that you want to share? It doesn't have to be related to what we're talking about.
3: If you want some time to think, I might jump in. Go on. So go on. I'm gonna flash back to my highlight of the week at the beginning, and the ALM I went to was the breastfeeding one, and the website that they're using is Possums Education. So they've got a big educational resource on there with some great videos of how to do a. Clinical consult on sleep in a newborn and in a fussy newborn and in breastfeeding and in assessing lactation and fit and hold of a newborn. And they're really nice and really cool stuff like oral assessments to see whether or not newborns have um, tongue ties. Um, and then what a tongue tie is and what it looks like and when it needs to have things done about it and then it's really nice short videos explaining exactly what a GP should be able to do in a short clinical consult. So that's possums? Education. Possums, education, one word? or well, one
0: word. Beautiful. We've previously had it as a um, resource when Mel Considine came that's on right, there. <laughs> but we can have it again because sometimes you forget about these things. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a good resource. Oh,
2: if it's... Brilliant. Yeah. So... I'll go in there too. I'm um, with this morning we had an amazingly interesting and for me thought-provoking panel session about voluntary assisted dying mm. and the sort of the process by it and it was for me really good because it clarified exactly what the process is in Victoria and what's happening in West Australia. As a New South Wales GP, obviously this isn't anything I need to know at the moment, but what it opened up for me was the need to have it be able to be Knowledgeable about what it meant, and also to be able to be much more open about the discussions about death, dying, and what the actual process of dying might look like for someone and their family. And so the you can there are resources. There are some videos, I believe, six videos that actually take you through the process of what it means, what it looks like, the conversations you should have. And also there's a six-hour learning module that you can do if you're a registered doctor. So anybody interested... Even if you're not in Victoria? My understanding is even if you're not in Victoria, you can do the training. But if you can't do that, there are these aligned six Mm -hmm. video learning tutorials which pretty much do the same job.
1: Yeah, Cool. cool. And my resource or, you know, um, resource that I've really learned about again this week at GP19 has been head to health, headtohealth.gov.au. And I think this is just an amazing resource for our patients around mental health resources and online training programs that exist and using SAM the chat box which is on their fantastic website, around being able to find different resources, particularly in the consultation, where you're not quite sure where to look for particular areas that you're not sure about. For instance, gaming addiction is one of those you can put in, and you can then look up and see what resources are available for those patients. Mm,
0: It's a really great initiative. Yeah, Yeah, it's been wonderful. My resource is uh, related to that. (laughs) (laughs) I do... I have do a lot of work with adolescents and i think whenever you do work with one particular population you always think about well how as a gp how could i prevent them from needing to see me at this time <laughs> in their lives and so i um have an interest in the mental health of our the children in australia and the impacts on those and there's an organization that's uh, recently been given a remit to particularly Look into developing resources and tools and education for health professionals. And I'm not sure if there's any research associated with their with their program, but the people is called Emerging Minds. So the website is emergingminds.com.au, and they've got so many different resources on there about you know things related to trauma, particularly a resource that I used this week in the conference, which was for children in drought-affected communities, they developed two, two-page 2 PDFs, so four pages worth of resources specifically for how to support children in drought-affected communities and look at the mental health of children in drought-affected communities. So they have podcasts and leaflets and educational learning. and So it's a great kind of website to just kind of look at in terms of child mental health. They're, they're going to be releasing a kind of a, a heads assessment, a styles tool for children soon.
1: Awesome. That's it. That's it. We're
0: so done. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah, thanks, <laughs> Emily.
1: It's Thank been great. Thank you for great. having me.
2: Yeah, look Look forward to chatting yeah. again.
1: I can't wait to share the yeah. next it's A lot so of findings. Yeah, we'll get <laughs> you back. yeah the
0: when week. they are finished. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: exactly. So, bye.
3: Bye.